0: Section 1 of the Colored People of Chicago. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Colored People of Chicago by Louise DeCoven Bowen. Section 1. Colored People in County Jail. In the course of an investigation recently made by the Juvenile Protective Association of Chicago upon the condition of boys in the county jail, the association was much startled by the disproportionate number of colored boys and young men, for although the colored people of Chicago approximate one-fortieth of the entire population, one-eighth of the boys and young men, and nearly one-third of the girls and young women, who had been confined in the jail during the year, were Negroes. Maids in Houses of Prostitution The association had previously been impressed with the fact that most of the maids employed in houses of prostitution were color girls, and that many employment agencies quite openly sent them there, although they would not take the risk of sending a white girl to a place where, if she was forced into a life of prostitution, the agency would be liable to a charge of pandering. In an attempt to ascertain the causes which would account for a great number of delinquency among the colored boys in the public opinion, which would so carelessly place the virtue of a colored girl in jeopardy, the Juvenile Protective Association found itself involved in a study of the industrial and social status of the colored people in Chicago. Morality and Environment while the morality of every young person is closely bound up with that of his family and his immediate environment, this is especially true of the sons and daughters of colored families who, because they continually find the door of opportunity shut in their faces, are more easily forced into their early environment, however vicious it may have been. The enterprising young people and immigrant families who have passed through the public schools and are earning good wages continually succeed in moving their entire households into more prosperous neighborhoods where they gradually lose all trace of their tenement house experiences on the contrary the colored young people however ambitious find it extremely difficult to move their families or even themselves into desirable parts of the city and to make friends in these surroundings the first negro in chicago Because the fate of the young people was thus so inextricably a part of the life of the colored people in Chicago, the investigators found themselves studying the entire history of the Negro on the shores of Lake Michigan, following it to the very beginning, where it is said that the first cabin was built in 1779 by a Negro from San Domingo. Slavery, of course, prevailed in Illinois, just as everywhere else in the Northwest Territory having been introduced during the French occupation, and allowed to continue under the English. When by an act of Congress in 1787, slavery was forever prohibited northwest of the Ohio River, this act was so strenuously objected to in the territory of Illinois that it was construed to refer only to the introduction of new slaves, not to the emancipation of those already slavery. When Illinois became a state in 1818, its Compromise Constitution forbade perpetual slavery, but allowed indenture for 25 years of service. Illinois liberal in slave time Although the state of Illinois was bound by this compromise, the early city of Chicago itself was most liberal to the Negro, as the following incident illustrates— In 1842, an industrious and well-behaved colored man in Chicago was arrested on the grounds of being in the state without a free certificate. He was taken before a judge who promptly committed him to jail to be sold at auction if no owner turned up. In the meantime, friends of the colored man printed handbills announcing that a man will be sold at auction next Monday morning in the jail and distributed them on Sunday among the churchgoers. When the sheriff brought out his ware on Monday to auction him off, he faced an angry and scowling audience, and when he began his auctioneering, he found no bids were forthcoming. What will you bid for a strong man who can do all kinds of work, he called again and again. But meeting with no response, he threatened to take his man back to jail and lock him up. This threat had the desired effect, and he received a solitary bid of twenty-five cents from Mr. M. C. Ogden, a prominent man in the early life of Chicago. The purchaser then addressed the colored man in the presence of the crowd and assured him that he was free to go where he pleased. Chicago Police did not aid in Fugitive Slave Law The passing of the Fugitive Slave Law in Congress in 1850 created a great excitement in Chicago when the colored people of the city met in convention and resolved not to fly to Canada, but to remain and defend themselves. A few days later, the city council passed a resolution that the city police should not be required to aid in the recovery of slaves. Colored children admitted to public schools in 1873. In 1854, Stephen A. Douglas was hooted off a Chicago platform when he tried to speak for his pro-slavery resolution in the Senate. From that day, Chicago took a leading place in the anti-slavery fight, but it was not until 1872 that all laws discriminating against the colored people were taken off the Illinois statute books. In the next year, 1873, the colored children were by statute allowed to attend the public schools of the city. High School Education of No Value Although no separate schools have ever been established in Chicago, it was found that many colored young people became discouraged in regard to a high school education because of the tendency of the employers who use colored persons at all in their business to assign them to the most menial labor. Many a case on record in the Juvenile Protective Association tells the tale of an educated young Negro who Failed to find employment as a stenographer, bookkeeper, or clerk. One rather pathetic story is of a boy graduated from a technical high school last spring. He was sent with other graduates of his class to a big electric company where, in the presence of all his classmates, he was told that niggers are not wanted here. The association has on record another instance where a graduate of a business college was refused a position under similar circumstances. This young man, in response to an advertisement, went to a large firm to ask for a position as clerk. We take colored help only as laborers, he was told by the manager of a firm supposed to be friendly to the Negroes. Business colleges and industrial schools discriminate against the colored people. All the leading business colleges in Chicago, except one, frankly discriminate against Negro students. The one friendly school at present among twelve hundred white students has only two colored students but its records show as many as thirty colored students in the past the manager however claims that his business has suffered in consequence of his friendliness to the negro even the superintendent of the illinois industrial school for boys at saint charles complains that it is not worth while to teach trades to the colored boys In his institution because it is so very difficult for a skilled colored man to secure employment resulting reaction against education this reaction against education is one of the indirect results of the difficulties which young colored people encounter in their efforts to find work the investigators considered this difficulty one of the gravest features in the entire situation affecting alike, most disastrously, all of the colored people in Chicago. Uncongenial employment often cause of criminality. From the interviews with all the boys in the jail, it was clear that the lack of congenial and remunerative employment had been a determining factor in their tendency to criminality. But because the colored boys suffered under an additional handicap, because the opportunities for work are the essentials for all economic progress, the entire investigation had much to do with the basic question of employment. Labor Unions and the Colored Man The Colored Man believes that the labor unions discriminate against him, either openly or secretly. A few of the organizations have a clause in their constitutions stating that whites alone are eligible to membership. But most of them allow the colored man to pay his initiation fee and become a member. They, however, take no pains to secure him a place, and when he finds it difficult to find work because the contractor and his fellow workmen discriminate against him and only gets a job here and there, he is frequently tempted to work with scabs, and after several fines for this infringement of rules, he drops out of the union. The investigators found that this was not the exception, but the rule. Mechanics who are members of the building trades do not complain because they have been refused membership in the unions, but because they are discriminated against when it comes to working in a building, although this discrimination is not extended to the unskilled colored man. Therefore, while many colored mechanics who come to Chicago for work return to the South, where there are fewer unions and white men more willingly work with colored men, this return to the South almost never occurs among the unskilled. An attempt to compel admission to labor unions. The investigators found that a movement was being discussed among the colored people in Chicago to organize unions for colored artisans to act as strike breakers whenever possible, till the American Federation of Labor asked them to join the white unions. This, of course, is the very worst thing they could possibly do, as the colored people in Chicago have not yet recovered from the animosity excited against them during the stockyard strike when colored men from the South were imported as strike breakers. The colored people themselves believe that their difficulty in finding work is often due to the objection of the employers to treating the colored man with the respect which a skilled mechanic would command. Certainly, the colored labor is continually driven to lower kinds of occupation, which are gradually being discarded by the white man. Corporations usually refuse employment. Certainly, the investigators found that the great corporations, for one reason or another, refuse to employ Negroes. Department stores, express companies, and the public utility companies employ very few colored people. Out of 3,795 men employed in Chicago by the eight leading express companies, only 21 were colored men. Fifteen of these were porters. The investigators found no colored men in Chicago employed as boot and shoemakers, glove makers, binary workers, garment workers' trades and factories, cigar box makers, elevated railroad employees neckwear trades, suspender makers, and printers. No colored women are employed in dressmaking, cap making, lingerie, or corset making. The two reasons given for this non-employment by the employers are, first, the refusal of the white employees to work with the colored people, second, that the colored help is slower and not so efficient as the white. Some employers solve the second difficulty by paying the colored help less, In the laundries, for instance, where colored people do the same work as the white, the latter average a dollar a week more. The field of undesirable occupations. The effect of these restrictions upon the Negroes are, first, that they are crowded into undesirable and underpaid occupations. As an example, about 12% of the colored men in Chicago work in saloons and pool rooms. Second, there is a greater competition in a limited field with consequent tendency to lower the already low wages. Third, the colored women are forced to go to work to help earn the family living. This occurs so universally as to affect the entire family and social life of the Negro colony. Pullman Company, the largest employer of colored men. A large number of Negroes are employed on the railroads, largely due to the influence of the pullman palace car company there is a tradition among colored people that mr pullman inserted a clause in his will urging the company to employ colored men on the trains wherever possible but while the investigators found one thousand eight hundred and forty three pullman porters living in chicago they counted seven thousand six hundred and twenty five colored men working in saloons and pool rooms There is also a high percentage of them employed in the theaters, more than one-fourth of all the employees in the leading theaters of Chicago being colored men. Contrast between employment by local and federal government. The federal government has always been a large employer of colored labor. Nine percent of the force in all the federal departments are Negroes. In Chicago, the percentage of colored men is higher, Out of a total of 8,012 men, 755, or 10.61% of the whole, are colored, approximately their just proportion to the population. The Negroes, however, do not fare so well in local government. A study made of the city departments in Chicago showed the percentage of colored employees to be 1.87%. In Cook County, to be 1.88% three colored men have also been elected as county commissioners and there is said to be no instance on record in chicago of a negro office holder having betrayed his trust the colored man in business the investigators found in regard to the colored man in business one that the greater number of their enterprises are the outgrowth of domestic and personal service occupations two that they are in branches of business which call for small amounts of capital and very little previous experience. There are at present in the city of Chicago, managed by colored men, 23 manufacturing establishments of various kinds, 72 barbershops, 63 van moving and storage places, 50 restaurants, 34 pool rooms, 26 real estate dealers, 26 tailors, 25 coal and wood dealers, 24 hairdressers, 23 groceries, 20 cigar vendors, 12 builders and contractors, 11 undertakers, 9 printing plants, and 8 hotels, besides a small representation of 41 other lines of business. Here is a table showing the number of colored men employed by the City of Chicago. Department of Police, 83. Fire Department, 11, Corporation Council Office, 1, Health Department, 22, Board of Education, not including educational employees of the Board, 9, Department of Public Works, 32, Board of Local Improvement, 3, Mayor's Office, 1, Municipal Court, 1, Municipal Court Bailiff's Office, 1, Municipal Tuberculosis Sanitarium 2, Department of Smoke Inspection 1, City Comptroller's Office 2, Public Library 23, Labor Service 100, Total Colored 292, Total Number Employed 15,597, Percentage Colored 1.87, In the colored belt on the south side of Chicago, there are a number of business houses managed by colored people and patronized exclusively by members of their own race. There is also one bank located in a fine building of which a colored man is president, and 80 percent of the depositors white. According to the evidence confirmed by the figures of the United States Census, however, there is little possibility for a colored businessman to make a living solely from the patronage of his own people. The census report holds that he succeeds in business only when two-thirds of his customers are white. This affords one explanation of the fact that most of his business is of such a character that a white man is willing to patronize it, barbershops, expressing restaurants, and other business-suggesting personal service. The principal business street in the black belt in a mile on State Street, from number 3,000 to 3,900, the investigators found 108 colored men in business, who employed 270 colored men. Of these business undertakings, 12 were saloons, most of them newly opened, 12 barber shops; 7 real estate offices, only 3 of them 10 years old, 10 restaurants, 5 of them having been there for more than 5 years, and two for more than ten years, six pool rooms all recently opened, four hairdressers, and three tailors, in addition to confectioners, bakers, cleaners, decorators, dressmakers, druggists, and the other miscellaneous shops usually found in a self-contained neighborhood. As ministering to the higher life, there were found in the same block three music stores, one art store, one piano store, two printers, and, if they may be included in such a list, a photographer and a florist. All the latter, save one, have been in existence for more than five years, in sharp contrast to the more ephemeral life of the pool rooms and saloons, only one of which has survived so long, while eleven others have changed proprietors recently. This may be partly owing to the fact that it requires very little money to run either, since both the breweries and the pool-room manufacturers readily accommodate their salesmen with their goods and other fittings, and many young colored men who have been employed in them are ambitious themselves to become proprietors. While in a measure the decency of such a place depends on the proprietor, he usually responds to the pressure of the large concern who is his creditor. The total amount of capital invested in the mile by the 108 colored men was found to be $15,750. In addition to the colored men carrying on business in the mile were 26 Americans, 79 Jews, 18 Germans, 13 Irishmen, 10 Greeks, 9 Chinamen, and 6 other white men whose nationality was not ascertained. Several colored women managed independent hairdressing establishments in Chicago. On State Street, there are two successful restaurants conducted by women. Also, one saloon and one flora shop. Two widows of the original owners. There are a large proportion of real estate dealers among colored men, many of whom do business with white people. The Negro dealer often becomes the agent for houses, which the white dealers refuse to handle. Colored people are very eager to own their own homes, and many of them are buying small houses, Divided into two flats, living in one and collecting rent from the other. The contract system prevails in Chicago, making it possible for a man with two or three hundred dollars for the first payment to enter into a contract for the purchase of a piece of property, the deed being held by the real estate man until the purchaser pays the amount stipulated in the contract. End of section one.